You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. The title of the podcast is Four Essential Elements to Live a Well-Grounded Life. You want a well-grounded life, the foundation from which your life flows out of, and I do too. And so I want to give you four essential, four practical tips that will help you to live a well-grounded life. It will bless you. It will magnify God. It will encourage your relationships. And so you want to listen to this podcast. Now, perhaps you want to read our Your Daily Drive podcast. You can do that. So I have a complete article here. Everything that I'm going to share with you is in this article. And so I would encourage you to read it if you have the time and want to take the time. I also have an infographic in there. We have a hundred and something infographics that we use in our articles and we create new ones all the time. And so you want to take a look at this as it will visually give you some good ideas that you can implement practically. And then I have a video as well, a short 120 second video that you're welcome to look at and share too. The title of the article, the title of the podcast is four elements that you can uh, four elements for a well-grounded life. And so you can type well-grounded into our search box and you can pull this up. I want to say thank you for Joan for becoming a supporting member of our website. Joan, I cannot thank you enough because you're the person that helps us to produce all these resources for hundreds of thousands of people. And then Emmanuel, thank you also for becoming a Actually, I, I, I'm looking at this note here that you're not a member of our site, but you you made a donation. And so thank you for your one-time donation. I'm very encouraged that you would take the time to do that. Laura, thank you for your $10 monthly recurring membership. Cheryl, thank you as well for becoming a recurring monthly subscriber as well as James and Jennifer Stanley. Thank you as well for becoming a member. And then David uh, just now renewed his membership as his credit card changed, and so he uh, made that update. Thank you so much, David, for doing that, and the rest of you for uh, supporting our ministry. We have a lot going on with this work. We're reaching a lot of people. As many of you know, we have a an online school where people are uh, being trained in discipleship. That is our mastermind program. Thank you, Cece, uh, for becoming our newest student yesterday. I'm glad that you're in the program. You can start at any point. We don't have semesters. It's self-paced, so uh, your semester begins when you want it to begin, and and then you pace yourself through the program because each person lives a, a different kind of life. We're on our unique journeys with the Lord, and so you have to schedule. Some people can do it quicker than others. Others need longer time. It doesn't matter. Everybody is on their unique journey, and so you can pace yourself. There are several beauties of our Mastermind program. One is that it is self-paced. Two, it is all online, and so you can do every single bit of our program uh, in your home, in front of your computer, and it is transformative as well. I want to let you know also that uh, we have two 
our two most current speaking engagements that I have. One is in uh, Winter Haven, Florida, in Orlando, the Orlando area, and that is June the 16th. June the 16th, I will be speaking Sunday morning and Sunday night in Winter Haven, Orlando, Florida. If you want to know uh, more information about that, just write us and ask, and we'll be glad to share that with you. And then I'll also be speaking uh, toward the end of July. I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but they are nailed down. Uh, on Marco Island. Marco Island is a little bit south of St. Petersburg on the Gulf Coast, also in Florida. And so if you're in the Marco Island, St. Pete area, we'll be glad to give you some information on what I will be doing at Marco Church, I believe is the name of the church, uh, on Marco Island. If you want me to speak any other place in Florida this summer, since we are going to be there, uh, you're welcome to ask about that. We would love to consider it. So send us an email and say, I heard you're going to be in Florida or maybe southern Georgia. Uh, it would be great uh, to talk to you about that. And we would love to, or I would love to speak uh, at your church, whether it's one day or multi-days. Uh, but we can talk about it. You send me an email and let me know. But June 16th in Winter Haven, Florida, and then later in July, or may maybe it's early July, I think, maybe around July the 4th. It seemed like we were doing July the 4th uh, in Marco Island. Again, I have messed up those dates, but early July uh, you will be there. And if you want some information about that, let me know. Maybe I need to stop talking and get into this podcast. The title of it is Four Essential Elements to Live a Well-Grounded Life. I want to spring off from a text in 1 Samuel 8 verses 4 through 6 where the Israelites were asking for a new king. They were rejecting God. And if you want to live a well-grounded life, you have to choose your king. You have to choose the person that you are going to submit your life to. Nobody has another option. We are all submitted to someone. Seeking a king of your unique choosing, it is rejecting God. And if you seek a king other than God, that decision will always lead to slavery there is no other being that you can submit yourself to that will make you happy, even if that supreme being is you. It would be a, a tragic mistake, but we do it all the time. When it was time for the Israelites to choose a new king in 1 Samuel 8, they decided they did not want the Lord to be their king any longer. And so they told Samuel that they wanted a new kind of king. They, they wanted to go another way. They were seeing things differently. They were thinking differently. And they wanted to carve out a path that was different than the old paths. And that single decision was a monumental mistake. Israel did not want God to rule over them. They wanted a king of their own choosing. And the Lord, uh, guess what? He accommodated them. He allowed the people to have what they wanted. And Samuel, Samuel was sad, as I'm sure that you are familiar with the story. 
But he was sad because they were rejecting the Lord. He, he took it personally, though the Lord did release him from any consternation by reminding him that the people were rejecting God, the Lord, not Samuel. Just as a side item tip at this point, when people are angry at you or people are rejecting you, ultimately they're not angry at you and rejecting you. They are they are rejecting God. Uh, they're choosing not to do it God's way. They're doing it their way. And God is ultimately the one that is being rejected, even though it hurts you in the moment. And I, I know that. I know how that feels, and I'm not minimalizing it. But the truth is, when someone doesn't like you, they're being unkind. They're being hateful. They're being harsh. They're being hurtful. And whenever we do that, in that moment, we are rejecting God. And it is important for us to understand that practical point because it will help us to pity them, understanding that they have a deeper problem than what they may realize they may think that their problem is, is just horizontal between them and you. But you know from a God-centered perspective that their problem is more tragic than that. They are rejecting the Lord. And, and God came alongside Samuel, and he wanted him to know that. Samuel, I know that you're sad. I know that you're hurting. I know that you feel rejected in this moment, but I, you need to focus differently here. And so let me adjust your mind on this matter Ultimately, they are rejecting me, not you, Samuel. This idea of making the right choices, you see, the Israelites were not making the right choice. And so as you think about not making the right choices, I want you to realize that it is a bit trickier than it first appears. I suspect that when you listen to a story like the Israelites rejecting the Lord as their king, it would be common for you to think about similar situations. I'm talking about the big ones. See, this was a big one. They were rejecting God to rule over Israel. That is a big decision. And when you hear that story, you could probably think about the significant junctures in your life where choosing right or wrong has more considerable impact. And it is true Choosing to submit to the Lord in a marriage decision or a uh, sexual temptation decision or uh, some other big event in your life, quitting a job, starting a job, those are big, impactful decisions. But it is because that those temptations are so evident and attention-grabbing that it behooves us to stop and reflect about the more subtle forms of decision making. Those smaller things that aren't as impactful, maybe in some instances, can be even innocuous. These are the calls to action that do not create as much angst when they first arrive on our mental horizons. You see, what I want to talk about in this podcast as as this idea of choosing who's going to rule over you. I don't want to talk about the big moments in your life necessarily. I want to talk about living in the mundane. I want to talk about these average moments that happen every day, these little moments where uh, you have to make a decision. What if you settled in 
just for a moment while giving more reflective thought to how you function in your heart by examining some of your more mundane moments. Those instances in your life that do not necessarily register on your, quote, one of life's most transcending events scale. You see, every decision, large and small, is a moment to reflect your faith. Think about that. Every decision that you make. Focus more specifically on the small ones. Every small decision that you make reflects your faith because I think we automatically understand that big decisions are going to reflect our faith. But what about the tiny ones? There is a way that seems right to you, whether you're picking a king to rule over you or deciding if you want to get out of the bed in the morning. This passage about seeking a different kind of king. It does remind me of Proverbs 14, 12, where it talks about there is a way that seems right to us, a way that can lead to death. Here's what the verse says, quoting it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Now, this also ties into what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, it's so easy to choose a way that is not in line with God's way. It's not in line with following Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. We can see a way, as the Proverbs writer says, a way that seems right to a man but it ends in the way of death. We can see that and we can be lured away by our sinful desires. And at that moment, we have chosen a king that is not God Almighty. Let me make this really practical for you right now as I I want to speak transparently. Over the past few weeks, four to be exact, I have been sporadically irritable as I have been under the pressure of building our new website. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I I, I took the time at the beginning of of this website to give special thanks to David and Stanley and Jennifer and James and Cheryl, Laurel, Emmanuel, and Joan, because we have a humongous project that's We're right in the middle of, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's going to bless you tremendously, and I am excited about it. But let me pull the curtain back and share some things that you might not know. Over the past several weeks, I have been sporadically irritable as I have been under the pressure of building a new website. Plus, there's another thing that's happening that you don't know. I have been asked to have an intimate involvement with an organizational disaster with a Christian ministry where others have they have asked for my insight and my input and it has been it has been daily insight and daily input through investigation and data collecting and interviews and talking and and zoom meetings and and trying to gather all the information necessary to to put this thing back together again. And I have worked as as few as 10 hours per day while up to 18 hours per day. 
And I suspect during that time frame, I have worked approximately 300 hours. There's been a lot of time and a lot of stress involved in this website building process and this Christian ministry debacle that I've been asked to speak into. This season has not been good for my family. They have sensed at times and experienced my frustration as I have gotten bogged down at different times in the technological, our website build, and the organizational, the Christian debacle, morass. There have been stress points which create, stress points create lures that draw me to being brisk and demanding or impatient in my speech. Yesterday, I sinned against someone on our public forum. I'm not sure if I've ever done that before in 10 years. And I had to ask for her forgiveness. She didn't know all this backstory that I'm sharing now. It had nothing to do really with what we were talking about, but it had everything to do with what I am talking about right now with this work that's going on. I love my work, and I don't want you to hear, oh, please don't hear what I am not saying uh, I will die happy. I promise you that. If I am doing what I'm doing now, I will die happy. I am busy as I can possibly be, and I love virtually every moment of it. I, I have a wonderful life. I get to serve the community of God uh, with the practical message of Jesus Christ, and He has given us favor, and I have never been more content in all of my life. But we are busy and so these reactions that I have have not been good, as it does not magnify God. It does not magnify His glorious fame. It does not bless or encourage or motivate my family to be better people. And so in that sense, here's the point. I have been like the Israelites. They had a situation. The Lord permitted them to come to a unique crossroad in their journey with Him. There was a decision for them to make. For me, it was a choice to trust God and be kind, <laughs> or to choose another king to rule my heart, which leads to slavery to sin and dysfunction in relationships. And that is how it goes for all of us. Even the simple, mundane choices that intersect our lives and context in which we put our true selves on display. It is in those moments where we magnify our faith as being in the Lord or in some lesser God, little G-O-D, a God that will never fully satisfy or provide shalom to our relationships. One of the striking things about this passage in 1 Samuel 8 is how the Lord let them have what they wanted. Think about that for a moment. And this is not a unique situation in the Bible. You see this in Romans 1, beginning at verse 18 and running to the end of the chapter. The Lord gave these people in Romans 1, they gave them over to their desires, which led to slavery to their sin. How dangerous. As sin is so blinding, it is also deceptive to the point where you can see, you cannot see rather, what you need to understand or should see. This condition of setting up this other king, this ought king, instead of the Lord Jehovah, 
It leads to slavery, which is why you and I need at least four essential companions that help us walk another kind of path to another type of life. These are good companions. The title of the podcast, Four Essential Elements to Live a Well-Grounded Life. Here they are. Not necessarily in any particular order, but this is the order that I will give them to you. You need these four companions. Put yourself in the middle of the room and surround yourself with these four companions. And if you do that, you will be in a very good place. Number one, God's Word. A great companion. God's Word will direct our paths in the right way. Uh, you recognize that from Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Companion number two, the Spirit of God will guide us in all truth, John sixteen thirteen. Companion number four, a biblically informed conscience will accuse you or excuse you. It will accuse you of your behaviors, your attitudes, your words. And then companion number four, a community of faith will come alongside us to help biblically weigh our lives. All four of these companions must be synchronized and deployed in our lives all the time, every second of the day, to walk in a path of righteousness. That's why I'm talking about more in this podcast about those mundane moments, because it is in the big impactful moments where we want to look into God's Word and see what it says. Dear Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I need to understand. I want to listen to my conscience. I want to talk to the community of of faith in the big moments. But every second of the day, these four companions must be synchronized and deployed. This vital point is where we can so easily make a misstep and go off track. It is so common for fallen folks to do this. By way of examples, let me give you four common occurrences that demonstrate how we can make missteps even with these good companions. Yes, even if we stand in the middle of the room and surround ourselves with God's Word, the Holy Spirit, our consciences, and the community of faith, we can still make mistakes. I'll give you one example for each one of these four companions. Let me take God's Word first. I can interpret and apply God's Word to my life while in a vacuum, a vacuum that is sealed off from the other three essential contexts, Holy Spirit, conscience, and community. And if I choose to do this, it will alter a a clearer and more objective interpretation and application of God's Word for my life. May we never come to the place to where we think that we can interpret a passage of Scripture without the Holy Spirit's illuminating power, without our con- listening to a biblically informed conscience and without laying it out before a community of friends for it to be weighed. So many people read the Bible and come to poor interpretations because they don't have these four companions in place. Here's another example, the Holy Spirit. I can give myself over to subjective ex- ex- experiences 
that are devoid of the Spirit's illuminations while attributing those impressions to the Spirit of God's work in my life. In such cases, those so-called directions from the Spirit will always be to my advantage. That's the way I've heard it so many times in counseling. Someone said, the Spirit led me to X, Y, Z. It is always to their advantage. The Spirit always leads me in desirable directions rather than outcomes that could prove to be less cooperative to my cravings for comfort and control. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I I probably would not perceive the Spirit of God leading me into a direction (laughs) that took me to a cross. You see, people come to me in counseling and they say, oh, I was I was praying and the Spirit of God just just told me that this is the right thing that I to do. And that right thing, 99.99% of the time is is leading to their perceived and desired good outcome. Now I'm not saying every time that happens it's wrong, but I am saying that the Spirit of God may be leading you to a cross. He could be leading you to a a dried-up brook. That's Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 7. God was leading Elijah, and it says in this verse, I love this verse, after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And and this is what people will say, well, I was praying to God, and, and he led me in this direction, and then this bad thing happened, and I don't understand. Well... That's what happened to Elijah. You see, this tension is one of the main reasons why we must weigh our thoughts and desires by the other three elements, God's Word, a biblically informed conscience, and the community of faith. The Lord may want to crush you. Isaiah 53.10, Luke 22.42, John 12.24, Philippians 1.29, 1 Peter 2.21. If you want to read those verses, they're here. Just hover over them with your cursor on your computer and they will pop up in a pop-up box. In almost every case, our subjective impressions from God are things that we perceive to be good for us. Outcomes that lead to our liking all the time is not how the Lord operates all of the time. A person with a weak theology of suffering will never be able to see the broader scope of the Lord's dealings in their lives. This reality is why we need more than impressions from the Spirit of God. Here's another example of a bad example of how we can misuse these companions, our conscience. Any of us can easily excuse our thoughts, our deeds, attitudes, our words, especially if our primary desire is to avoid situational difficulties or relational conflict. As Paul taught, we can train our consciences to accuse or excuse ourselves, even to the point of hardening our inner voice to believe a lie instead of the truth. For example, in a typical relational conflict, our first defense is to defend ourselves rather than to think charitably about the other person. Though we should be biblically suspicious of our own ways, and that is not how we generally roll. 
Matthew 7, 3 through 5, the log and the speck, will nearly always be reversed. The log will be in their eye while I will be the proud owner of the speck. We can be so tenaciously loyal to ourselves, which leads to quickly letting ourselves off the hook while hanging the other person on the hook. Even a conscience can be misguided. Impressions from the Spirit of God can be misguided. Eisegesis, eisegetically reading God's Word is misguidance. And then the fourth bad example of these good companions is community. You see, all people struggle with fear of man in some way, to some degree. The place where this reality awkwardly ties into the context of decision-making is when people are hesitant to speak their true minds into our lives. It is incumbent on all of us to create necessary expectations of loving truth-telling in our relationships. What good is the community if we're not going to have loving truth-telling? We must give our friends permission to be honest, open, and transparent with us while we position our hearts to be vulnerable and our true selves to be accountable to their care. It takes a lot of work to establish these kinds of redemptive relationships, which only heightens the need for our proactivity and intentionality in developing them. I have more to this podcast. I have a call to action with five question sets for you. If you want to read those questions and you want to do a deeper dive into this podcast, the article, the video, the graphic, please go to this title, Four Essential Elements to Live a Well-Grounded Life. And as always, if you want to talk to us, we're welcome to listen and respond to you on our website. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.